Anyone claiming that America's economy is in decline is peddling fiction. I've abandoned free market principles to save the free market system. But we have to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. Raising the debt ceiling does not increase our debt. It does not somehow promote profligacy. I know words. I have the best words. Nobody knows the system better than me, which is why I alone can fix it. That's right, everybody. We are back with a brand new episode of Peddling Fiction, the Jew and the Gentile edition. He is Johnny the Jew Mandel. Yo, yo. I am the voice and soul of so-called fiction, Johnny the Gentile Profita. We are Peddling Fiction. What's going on, man? Not much. We got a hot one today. We do indeed. A lot going on in America. Yeah, a lot of a lot of action over the weekend. I guess you could say. Yeah. Not necessarily a good thing. Not always a good thing. I did rent out my my uh, parking spot finally for Cubs games to an online platform called Parkwiz. Parkwiz. Yeah, I've never heard of it. Yeah, basically, it's kind of like a smaller version of Spot Hero, and uh, they were wanting to get back to me about me running my spot on their platform and I never really heard back from spot hero. So yeah, I remember uh, a few months ago I was looking for one of those types of services to find parking spots to rent on more of like a long-term basis, right? You know, month to month or something like that. <clears throat> yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I couldn't really find anything. I don't know. First two nights in, I got 20 bucks a game. So, <laughs> so you had a much better weekend than the people of, El Paso. Yes, definitely. <laughs> I did too, actually. Didn't get shot at, although a lot of people in Chicago did too. Really? Yeah, it was um, not not the worst uh, start to August we've ever had, but it's been pretty bad. There so, was summer's always really bad. Yeah, yeah. I think um, one of the, I, I saw a headline: Mount Sinai had to um, go into bypass status or whatever it is because they got a bunch of. It was like a shooting in a park at like one o'clock in the morning. Yeah. On a you know, it's crazy. I got a buddy. He's a brain surgeon at uh, County. He handles the gunshot wounds to the brain. Oh, like yeah? That. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? How'd you meet that guy? Friend of a friend. A literal brain surgeon? Actually, husband of a friend. Yeah. Brain surgeon. So if we ever need any uh, subject matter expert in that area. Well, I was going to say, you could probably undergo a brain operation. Yeah. <laughs> Do you a couple favors? Zing. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, but uh, speaking of brain damage, we uh, haven't done our debate <laughs> recap. <laughs> it wasn't, all, it wasn't all bad. The, oh, God. Okay. He's <laughs> the recovering Democrat. Yeah. Wasn't wasn't all bad. Well, I, so I am interested to hear your perspective on things because so I watched. You didn't really watch the first night, right? Didn't watch the first so night. I did. I did the first night, and I did an episode on that. So on, so so let's hear just sort of the high level the the first night. Yeah. Well, I I thought it was interesting more from like a perspective of 
Well, a couple things. It, it revealed sort of the, the dynamic that's really going to start emerging in the Democratic Party, which is I think you have like a civil war going on right. be- between the, the Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, sort of full-blown socialist right. wing of the party, and then the so-called moderates, which I, I, I really, they're moderate, but relatively speaking, I, I suppose they are. And so now they're actually starting to duke it out a little bit because I think after that first, like the first round of debates, the first two debates, those were like the most boring thing imaginable because nobody was really separating themselves from anybody else. Nobody was really going after anybody. You had the Kamala Harris, Joe Biden thing, but that was about it. And I think a lot of these moderate candidates sort of realize that they're going to have to go after the, the Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warrens, in order to sort of distinguish themselves right. somewhat. Because you have 20 people. Right. So there's that. And then just the, I went into, a, like, the overall theme of the episode was sort of just the state of delusion that I think everybody is in. Mm-hmm. And in particular, as voters, this is not like a, a Democrat thing. This is just a, a like what I consider like a voting Population. thing. Yeah. We, we, prefer to live a life of delusion and we want to be told you know what we want to hear what we already believe regardless of how ridiculous it is and i just sort of ran down through all the you know all these democratic proposals that are literally insane if you think about them for two seconds but when these moderates are trying to go after how like hey you know we can't do medicare for all because of this 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 like nobody wants to hear that right because they'd much rather you know, be be told what they want to hear, right? Even if it is, and, and to be fair, I think both both sides, both parties, probably have almost like the opposite, ridiculous sort of ideas around things. And to your point, it's always about giving more and not having to sacrifice. You know, so right, like when it comes to foreign policy, it's always like, yeah, get into more wars, right? Without rethinking the consequences, and that's sort of the crazy, probably on on the Republican side. Yeah, or, wow. or just that you know our our freedoms are somehow dependent on what's going on on the other side of the world in some sandbox that ninety five percent of those voters couldn't even probably point out on a map, right? And uh, still, it still couldn't. But it's interesting you say that, and you know, any I guess other takeaways from the first debate on individual candidate performance? Yeah, um, everyone always says Mayor Pete does a great job. I thought he um, he lost the step, in really? my opinion. Yeah, he kind of um, he, he he doesn't really have a whole lot to say. Right. He, he is very presentable. You know, he's got that sort of um, sophisticated, right, presidential look to him. He's very well spoken, road scholar. Yeah, veteran. Yeah, he's articulate. I just he he was just kind of milk toast. Yeah, vanilla. You know, he did he didn't do bad. He didn't um, hurt himself in any way. He just sort of lost a little bit of his whatever mojo I thought he had. Yeah, I, I thought Bernie Sanders, he was he was definitely a lot more energetic. <laughs> he was he was angry Bernie. Right. He was just yelling. Is he always everything. energetic though? He, I thought the first the first round of debates he was a little less. I, th- I thought he had kind of a rough night the first time. Well, he's going back to his roots, which I think is kind of interesting. Yeah, and he w- and he was he was letting everybody have it. Yeah. Um, and it was it was interesting because you know it was him and Elizabeth Warren sort of teamed up to right. 
to sort of defend that um, yeah. their side of the of the Democratic Party. Yeah, there's one thing that I think that you know I don't think they're going to hit home with a lot of policies. There's one policy that I think they can hit home with. It's very hard to defend. Is sort of like corporate welfare because that's sort of like across the political spectrum. No one's saying, oh, we need to hook up corporations a little bit more, right? We need to do them more favors. So I think like Bernie's like cross border, you know, um, prescription drug runs. That's something that like 98%, you know, unless you work for like a pharma company and your salary literally depends on these things, you know, being priced 20 times what they should. So I think that's where they can hit home with more than anything. And actually, you know, it's interesting as the election plays out what policies they go to. I do think that's one that, that they can kind of keep pushing. Yeah, it just doesn't seem to be one of the more major issues right. that, that that a lot of people are going to get fired up about. Right. And that to me that's sort of the problem is that the the things that they're running on, like their their major issues, healthcare uh, and education and debt. Well, immigration, healthcare and I saw some polls that came out last week that did sort of like, this is what, you know, Medicare for all, this is how popular it is within the Democratic Party, and then versus like the rest of the world. Right. And it became pretty obvious that everything that they're running on on the Democratic platform is, at least according to these polls, a losing issue when you get into the general election. Right. And I think that's going to be one of the interesting things to sort of watch these so-called moderate candidates, you know, or even the establishments like Joe Biden, where they have to go so far to towards Bernie Sanders to win the primary. And then they're somehow going to have to move back to the center to, to win, to have a chance in the general election. Yeah. I mean, look, Bill Maher, who I don't think can be accused of being a conservative blowhard. No said, and I quote, I'm looking at it that Democrats are are blowing their chance to beat Trump by, quote, coming across as unserious people who are going to take away all your money so migrants from Honduras can go to college for free and get a major in America. Sucks. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Major in America. Yeah. So, So, I mean, look, Bill Maher calls it like it is, right? And as much as people can get excited about, you know, one pet issue over the other about, you know, free education for all or free healthcare for all. I think it's, yeah, it's, it could be a, a loser in the general election. Probably is a loser in the general election. I think you can go with like one of the policies, but I just don't think you can do kind of oh, all. The other thing is like Donald Trump's issue that he won on was immigration. And it's interesting to me that now like the Democrats are also running on immigration. Yeah. There, there's something interesting there. I think it was a. I mean, I think immigration was big. I think the free trade thing was really yeah. big. The places that got sort of factories shipped away. Yeah. Right. Yeah. He got to run on the weak economy that Obama was trying to tout as being far stronger than it ever than it actually was. There were there were huge portions of the American population that didn't experience a a recovery at all. In fact, they've been in recession this whole time. And now like the Democrats are going to be in the, basically the the position that he was in where they can say, look, like the economy is not working for everybody. Right. And if, 
And I mean, if today was any indication the Dow just tanked 767 points or something like that today. Yeah, I mean, again, ever since probably like going back to NAFTA and even a little bit before, you have automation of jobs that used to require human labor. You're going to have displacement of workers. You're going to have sort of quote unquote two economies, right? That that a certain set of workers have not kept up, right? Yeah. And you know, it's not like Trump came in and snapped his fingers and changed all that, right? I mean, you're talking about 25 years of structural change in America. Well, according to him, he did. Well, that's, yeah, that's yeah, the problem. I mean, he's, he's just lying about it. Yeah. So, so he's going to be running on like, look, keep America great again, which as soon as I heard that was going to be his slogan, that was the first time where I was like, okay, that he's vulnerable there. Yeah. Make America great again. And I did go over this in the, in the last episode. Like a lot of people like to make fun of that slogan. That's a great fucking marketing. Yeah slogan yeah. like it, it it conveys so much information in four words right and it means like a lot of different things to a lot of different people all of them pretty much good right and keep america great again it's like well now you can you know unless it's really good for you which the vast majority of people it's not that the democrats can play off of that i, I don't know why they're really not they're, so they're getting hung up on like social issues that, so let's talk about the second debate because yeah. that's the one that we kind of watch together mm-hmm. and uh, we had a little bit of fun with. So uh, overall, I thought it was kind of a, a big nothing burger. But the one thing that I really took away is that there's no candidate who's really like, I'm going to be the the candidate beats Trump. I mean, the one person that I still think is probably the leader, and I don't even think he's that strong, is Biden, right? Which you mentioned, okay? I mean, Biden's trying to kind of be the like, you know, hey, we don't need any more fireworks, we don't need more craziness. Let's get back to normal. But I gotta tell you, man, he trips over his words a lot. He was always prone to gaffes. Yep. I don't I don't think the history of his record, no one gives a shit about that. That's like something that the media loves to talk about, right? And other candidates love to talk about. No one cares how Biden voted on busing 40 fucking years ago. Right. And I think that came up in the debate. It's like, listen, uh, let's stop talking about stuff from 60 years ago. <laughs> yeah. That's how long he's been doing I mean, this shit. You know, too. are some he's, of these candidates really defending busing now? Like, yeah. I don't think that really was a policy that worked out in the long run. Yeah. So, you know, the one thing about Biden is he's just, he's just kind of weak because he's got the fact that he was a vice president. That's huge. He's got the fact that he's like working Joe, right? He's from Pennsylvania. You know, I don't think anyone considers him racist in any way, right? He probably has strong support among the the black population of America. I would just say like, as far as if you're going to be kind of a reality TV president, I don't think he has got that pizzazz the way that Obama, Trump have. Right. And he looks really old just visually. Yeah. He looks old. He's not really quick on his feet. And I don't, I don't know. I don't think the democratic party is the democratic party clearly moved to toward Bernie Sanders since the last round of elections, you know, everything, every position, like the first round of debates, everybody was basically Bernie Sanders. Right. And I don't understand. I don't know how like an old, white, straight, rich male is what the Democratic Party is looking for this day and age. I I don't see it. And I don't see how he can go 
far enough to the left. Like We're talking I said, Biden. Yeah. Yeah. Biden, I, I, you know, I don't think Bernie's going to get the nomination either. I, yeah. I mean, again, Bernie is, is sort of like the, the liberal soul, right, of the party. But I don't think he's like a mainstream winner. Um, you know, the thing about Biden, too, is yeah, I hate to say he doesn't like look it because I, I'm really against it. Now, someone did bring up a good point. The gaffes he says, they might go over well in Ohio. They might go over well in Pennsylvania, right? I mean, that might be someone, you know, people, large population, say, well, hey, you know, I say shit like that, right? And they kind of laugh about it. I, I don't know. But at the same time, I don't know if someone wants to pull the lever for him to be sort of the commander in chief. Yeah, I, I don't see it. I, I, I think he... Um... I think they'll pull it more. He's than already they would lost for, too. Yeah, he's yeah. he's already run for president and lost. Yeah, America wants a winner. Yeah, I mean, the, I I will say I think he's stronger than Hillary in a lot of places that that um, he could be strong, but I think electorally, like you need someone young, you need someone a little more centrist, which brings us to Tulsi. <laughs> oh, you want to go right to Tulsi, huh? Okay, I mean. I think at the end of the day, she's probably not. I I discount experience so much, but she probably doesn't have enough life experience to kind of be president yet. And I say that lightly because you know she's like a Hawaiian veteran who's who's now like probably a pretty prominent candidate. So you can't discount that. But she's thirty eight. I mean, I think she, I think she's really good. But I don't think she's seasoned from like a, a presentation standpoint yet. Yeah, in terms of her debate performances, I have not been blown away. She had, with the exception of that one moment, which was the moment of that entire debate. It right. was, it was like everything that every anybody talked about. But with the exception of that, it's just like, yeah, she's not great at this. Her opening statements and her closing statements, where she gets like a minute uninterrupted. To, to lay it down. I, I always feel like that kind of falls flat. Uh, she's pretty good at the exchanges back and forth. She seems a little nervous, uncomfortable, which I think a lot of people would be talking in front of hundreds of millions of people. Right. Um, I, I do think she's one of the more interesting candidates because of her, her, main, her main stance is anti-war. Right. And that used to be a Democratic... A, a huge part of the democratic platform. Yeah. And I mean, it, it was up until Obama, but once he started to continue the wars of George Bush, they, you know, they're not no longer too interested in that anymore. Yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd say probably on the whole, there's like a lot less Hawks in the party, but yeah, why not get out there and, and just sort of, you know, carry that flag like she does. I think as a veteran, she's probably a little bit more equipped to do it. Um, so I think that's helpful, you know, part of it too is, and, and I know you're not going to like hearing this. I think a lot of people are like, well, if I do win, I kind of have to like, you know, uh, govern in the way that I campaign. And some of those policies can be very uncomfortable when you get in the spotlight, you know, like, you know, not, not choosing to, I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe I'm wrong on that. Yeah, I think you're going to want to rethink that position. I, I can't think of a president that actually governed the way that he campaigned. It's never happened. They all lie their ass off to get elected. 
and then they all govern exactly the same. They like to pretend that there's this huge difference between Republicans and Democrats, but there really isn't. There really isn't in terms of governing policy. Once they get in there, there's not a whole lot of a difference between Barack Obama and George Bush. There really isn't. I know everyone on their team likes to think that that's so, but if I were to lock you in a closet before before Obama got elected, and, and then like three years later I let you out, you really think you could tell me whether or not Barack Obama or John McCain won the election? Of course not. Nothing changes. Nothing ever changes. That's the problem. Right. But if we can get back to Tulsi and foreign policy, the, the, the problem is she doesn't really make that case. Like, I know she can make the case for being anti-war better than she has been because I've heard her do it when she's not on the debate stage. And it's just like she's not she's not attacking it. Do, do you think with, do you think people pull I mean why not be more forceful on that issue like with right. just everyone I mean it's such a winner like hey instead of spending four billion a month in these other countries let's spend it in our country yeah well it, it is a very popular it being anti-war is a popular issue every every president runs on being anti George W Bush ran on uh not using the military to nation build. Uh, Obama ran on uh, ending the wars. Even Donald Trump ran on on an anti-war platform. And yet here we are (laughs) with the longest wars in American history. Oh, and Ron Paul. Ron Paul gets more donations from active military than any other Republican candidate combined. I didn't realize that. Combine them all. And he got more money from uh, veterans and active military. So it's, it's a very popular position to take. Uh, I, I don't know why she's not hammering it home the way she should be. It, it, it's sort of like it's not as important as, you know, immigration or like climate change. <laughs> but it's like, yeah, uh, OK, but we're fighting the longest wars in American history. We've, we've been over there for like 19 years. Pretty soon we're going to have guys fighting over there that weren't even born on 9-11. We spent trillions of dollars, thousands of of oh, of 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 U.S. soldiers, you know, killed, maimed, uh, mentally just broken, coming right. back, having all sorts of problems, not to mention hundreds of thousands of people over there whose lives have been screwed up, who have been killed. Like, the whole thing is a disaster, and it just, I don't know. She's the one candidate that could really bring this up. Well, it, they could all do it, right? And and you could almost, like, kind of flank Trump, Trump on it and almost have... Trump have to agree with you, you know, like almost take yeah. the lead on the issue. So. Well, cause he ran on that too, but Tulsi Gabbard actually knows her stuff on this. She not only is she a veteran, but she knows what's going on. She, she sees through all the bullshit and she could really take Trump to task on this. I don't know if all the other candidates could really do that. They sort of pay lip service to it. If they know what's going on over there, they would never admit the truth. Tulsi is going to tell it like it is. And that's why they're probably not going to let her proceed in these debates. And it's frustrating that she hasn't used the opportunity to, to tell it like it is because she's not going to get too many more of these. They're, they're, they don't let you speak truth to power, real truth to power, not this crap that Democrats claim is speaking truth to power, that they're taking such a brave stand condemning racism or whatever. We're talking about the lives of hundreds of thousands of people and trillions of dollars. They don't let you do that. They're going to find a way to keep her out of the debates going forward. 
and and I just feel like she's wasted a lot of opportunity. Yeah. Um. So the one other person I thought did a pretty good job, and I couldn't even name one of his policies. I swear to you, is uh, Booker. I thought Booker like presented pretty well. I think he's kind of the, you know, be nice to everyone candidate. I think he's he's kind of funny. Um, Dude, I I completely disagree with you. Really? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I again, I just think. Overall, he presents pretty well. He's got a pretty good backstory. I think just kind of based on like personality wise, I think he's he's a strong candidate. He's a likable guy. I mean, dude, no one knows any of the policies of any of these people. Yeah, no, I mean policies aside, I think he just comes off as like a phony baloney. Really? Yeah. He I, I always feel like he's trying to hold back a smile, like no matter what he's talking about. It looks like he's trying like <laughs> he's, he's giggling. Yeah, yeah, he's just like I'm gonna try to get him to believe this now. Watch me. And I don't I don't believe his back I don't think he is from like the hood or that he struggled. I think I saw something last week that like he's from like one of the most wealthy neighborhoods in America or something he like that. He was the mayor of Newark, which, you know, yeah, but where did he? He's like when he's like in my neighborhood growing up, like people were getting shot. Like the first debate, everyone's like, "What neighborhood is Gordon Booker from?" I don't know. He comes across as phony to me. Regardless, as a Democrat, you can come wrong. across as phony. You can't come across as angry. That's the problem. You don't think you, you don't think Bernie can pull off the angry? Some candidates can. Not in the general, though. No. That's the problem. So. Yeah, I don't like getting yelled at by Bernie for like three hours. <laughs> it's not something I enjoy. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think, uh, I really hope some of these other fringe candidates can hang around. Like, I I want Tulsi to make it into the next round of debates. She'll, I, she'll make it because she makes for good TV. Dude, they don't, they don't care about TV, man. They care about getting rid of these anti-war. They've already started to paint her as like some Assad apologist. Um, You're kidding, really? No. Oh, yeah. Like what, that, what outlet? Oh, you know, the usual ones, all the mainstream media. I was watching CNN at the time, but I, I'm sure it was on MSNBC too. Um, I, I haven't, I haven't checked out a lot of, a lot of Fox yet. They interviewed Kamala Harris after the debates and, and she was just like, Oh, she's an Assad apologist. Like I really have to answer this question from somebody who supports Assad. Sometimes I wish that some of these candidates would just like, think for a few minutes and, and, you know, cut through the noise and realize that probably most people, if you just make a coherent argument would see like, Oh, actually that's not such a bad thing that we're, you know, out of the middle East completely. Right. Even if it does mean like this one dictator's not, you know, gone forever. Like what would we take Saddam still in power or like basically the result of what happened? I mean, or destroying the entire country, <laughs> like literally just just destroying the country. Yeah. So, anyway, I, I thought overall pretty interesting debate. We'll see how it shakes out. I'd say right now Biden's still comfortably leading, but I do think there's a big opening for for someone. I don't I don't really think Warren, Bernie, or Kamala. Has, has a shot. No. I Well, Kamala had a disastrous night. Right. Not even just the exchange with um, Tulsi where she got she got shredded, but she was taking it from all sides. She was taking it from Biden. She was getting it from some of the more moderate candidates. Like I, and I thought she was just losing a lot of the exchanges. She yeah. kind of looked like she was ready to cry the whole yeah. time. Yeah. Like she was holding back tears. I, yeah. I don't, I don't think there is a clear 
I don't think any of the um, the front runners or the establishment people are going to win. Right. I, I don't think I don't think uh, Biden, Sanders, Warren. Uh, I don't think Booker is going to get it either. Kamala Harris. I don't know. I, we'll see how she bounces back from this one because I think she's got she's got a lot of um, support and she checks off a lot of boxes for the Democrats that they love. Yeah. Woman, minority. What do you think? About, well, the Democrats want to win just like the Republicans. So I, I think at the end of the day, they're going to see in the primary voting, okay, who, who's got the best shot in the general? Um, I mean, I think they'll attract, you know, those liberal candidates will attract their support. That's what they thought, though. That's why they, they went with Hillary, because she had the best chance of winning. Yeah, but you know? she did. I mean, she probably did have the best chance of winning. I don't know. Well, I don't think Bernie. I don't think Bernie. You don't think Bernie could have taken him? Would have been a maybe some of the policies like really lines up with each so, other. That's kind of a funny thing. The problem, one of the biggest problems I see with with these candidates is because you have the you have the moderates attacking the like the the full blown socialists and the socialists. But the problem is when you don't have like a principled stance, when you're not coming at it from like a like a libertarian or like an anarcho capitalist perspective. And and the message is like on the one hand from Bernie, you know, Medicare for all, free college, we're gonna do all this great stuff, we'll just tax the rich. And then you come in from like a Joe Biden perspective and you're like, Okay, that that's cr- Medicare for all, that's crazy. What well, we can do like eighty five percent of that. <laughs> and it's just like it's just like I mean, if I'm a voter, I'm going, Well, like if eighty five percent is good, isn't a hundred percent better? And why you know, it's just a more compelling position to take going the going the full blown going all out then then sort of stopping short yeah i mean well i think there's there's room for moderation in in anything in life including in policy and politics i mean um you know regardless of what it is like i think you can have a minimum wage of you know fifteen dollars an hour twelve dollars an hour without having a minimum wage of twenty five dollars an hour right I mean, so I think there are there is yeah, room. but the argument is you can't beat my twenty five dollar argument. Well, I think that's that's the point of you know maybe maybe your philosophy is moderation. Like, hey, we'll we'll have moderate at, policies well, at twenty five. It's going to be really bad, so we'll just do a little bit of bad at fifteen. I mean, yeah. At the same time, it's kind of passes the. And I'll be like, no, if fifteen is good, twenty five is better. Come on, don't you want twenty five? I mean, and everyone's like, I mean, yeah, I want 25. That's if I'm going to take it. But that's how these things play out. It's like everyone makes their argument as to you know what they think is the best policy. They try to get the most amount of people backing it. And at the end of the day, people vote for, okay, do I want to vote for the $15 an hour guy or the $25 an hour guy, right? Yeah, right. And what makes more sense? So anyway, I, I don't think, you, you know, I, I get the idea of having sort of a guiding policy, but I do think there's room for moderation. I will say, and this is something that we've, we early on in the podcast, we talked about a lot. I definitely think that there's a sickness in both parties because I just feel like the existing frameworks of the parties is, is totally gone. Like there's not, there's not enough of a guiding principle that either party goes by. And so you have so many positions on both sides of the parties right? That usually flip. I mean, half of Trump's policies were Democratic policies, you know, five, six years ago, right? And now they're adopted by Trump. So the Democrats are against it, right? 
So yeah. I, I do think that there's kind of a sickness in both parties. And, and I do think there's an opening for another party. And I think some people will be like, that's crazy talk. Like, how could you have another party? Guess what? Just because things happen in the past doesn't mean that they're going to stay the way, same way in the future. And if there's ever a point in history where you can get your message out to a wide number of people very quickly. It's now. So I do think there's an opening for another party to come up. I don't know if it's going to be two years. I don't think it's going to be four years. I do think you kind of need, there's a vacuum of unity. And I think you almost need a new party to like kind of fight through that vacuum. People are at war with each other on, on this political stuff. It's so stupid, right? Yeah. And I, I think the vacuum is you could have another party come in and say, you know what? All you guys are kind of tearing each other. Here's sort of a new party, and, and here's some of our philosophies around it. Well, I I would love to see that from the Libertarian Party. I don't know if, if we're going to get anything like that. But, I mean, that's the, that's the problem with politics. That's the problem with having a government that, that has... Like that controls four and a half trillion dollars. It's involved in every aspect of your life. It's got a huge foreign policy thing, uh, all these domestic policies, it, and it's always going to be a, a win lose situation, right? And so, it, if your party's in power, then you get the the things that you want in your daily life, and you get to sort of rule over everybody else, right? And it's the it creates so much conflict. The only time we see conflict is in areas where the government's involved, like even with religion and stuff like that, like the vast majority of the time, religions just kind of, they, they, you know, they're in their daily lives or whatever in America, you know, you practice your religion, I'll practice mine. There's no problem. Yeah. There's almost like a surprising amount of, of acceptance of various religion. And I get like, there's definitely some issues, especially when it comes to like how people view Islam and that kind of thing. But generally, if two people of different religions meet each other and they say, hey, I'm a Muslim, hey, I'm a Jew, hey, I'm a Christian, usually they're like, oh, that's so interesting. Like, yeah. tell me well, what you, you do on, least, you know, Ramadan or tell me what yeah. you do on Hanukkah. Well, you can at least bond over the fact that you're very religious people right. and you don't have to fight over this or that. But when you, like, if you go into school, now all of a sudden it's an issue because it's like, well, they're either going to be teaching my kid the religion that I want them to, to learn or the religion that, or, or no religion, or the religion that this guy wants me to learn, and then it's a fight, and th- because it, it it's it's a win lose situation, and it, it's I, yeah. just it's a really bad system. I do think that the other thing too is there's a lot of like status quo and and um, scar tissue from both pol- like from policies on both parties that someone says something. And they have a knee-jerk reaction because of how they felt about it like the last 30 years. I'll give you an example. Um, One thing that, you know, I would say people on the Democratic side always have a knee-jerk reaction to is this idea of like school vouchers and and like, you know, quote-unquote school choice. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting is, I mean, if you look at Chicago, Chicago's had failing schools for the past 40 years, right? And... People always will go, oh, well, it's because they don't have enough money. It's like, they actually, there's like a good amount of money per student, right? I think it's like eight, $9,000 per student, which trust me, it's not like a huge amount of money, especially when you, when like you compare it to what the suburbs spend. But you know, the, the idea of like, of school vouchers is not like a horrible idea, but there's such a knee jerk reaction against it that 
that's almost why I think you almost need a new party because people have these like ingrained beliefs like, oh, that's a Republican idea. Or, oh, that's a Democratic idea. You know, <laughs> it's funny. You should mention that because there Republican talking points was basically the defense that anytime you pressed one of the, the candidates, especially like the Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren's um, on on their policies, like how are you gonna well, what are you how are you gonna pay for? It? Oh, that's a Republican talking point. Yeah. <laughs> just like anytime you you brought up a counter argument, it was a Republican talking point. Right. Uh, yeah, I mean, I I do want more than two parties. Absolutely. I just um, and I mean, I guess if if Donald Trump can get elected, that that should foster some semblance of hope. For something like the Libertarian Party, I, I almost party, don't but. even. I mean, I almost, I almost don't mind two parties. I just think the old parties need to be like washed away. Like you need change. Well, one of the um, things I talked about in the last episode, which all of our listeners, if you haven't already, go back and listen to Popular Delusion. But um, there's a great. Are you familiar with Michael Malice at all? He's no. a writer. Wrote a book on um, North Korea. He's got. He's very active on Twitter. Okay. He's, he's great on Twitter, but he's got this this quote that conservatism is progressivism driving the speed limit. Okay. And I just thought that that's a brilliant way of putting it because basically everything that was like a, a main democratic issue like 40, 50 years ago, the Republicans are now on board with. And the Democrats just keep sort of pushing the envelope to uh, like farther and farther left and the Republicans just keep going along with them just at a slower pace. Right. That's kind of interesting. Yeah. I think a lot of people like, like, again, I don't think he was a very liked president, but I'm pretty sure like a lot of Nixon's policies today would be considered very liberal, uh, which is actually kind of the reverse of what you're, you're mentioning. But I know I talk about it all the time too, but like Barack Obama's policies, they, if you ran on Barack Obama's platform today, yeah. you would be literally Hitler. Yeah. And I mean that's just how 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 crazy how how much it's gone towards Bernie's Bernie's ideas. Yeah. But the problem is now that now Bernie can't separate himself that way because everybody's on board with his stuff. Yeah. Well, almost everybody. I going back to like the libertarian party, yeah. I, I do think you could have a, a new party with a lot of libertarian concepts. I don't know that it it have to be like 100% libertarian just because I think there's a lot of kind of um uh what's the word I used before scar tissue with like the libertarian party so people have like knee jerk reactions so I, I do think you need like a rebranding absolutely um yeah. I've often talked about it I, I could see this as like sort of a fusing of progress progressivism and libertarianism almost like a newfound federalism so you know if if you tell me a democratic policy, right? Something that someone's running on today, I could almost give you like in lockstep, hey, here would be a libertarian way of accomplishing that. So, you know, minimum wage. You want minimum wage, $15 an hour? How about this? Lower taxes on the social security uh, part of, of the worker's paycheck, right? So they're actually taking home more pay, right? Or... You want universal health care, um, you know, great. Lower, like, the individual uh, purchase of, of health care as far as, like, you know, making that tax deductible, right? You have ways to accomplish a lot of these, quote-unquote, liberal policies from a very libertarian perspective. 
I mean, I don't know if those are libertarian perspectives. Well, I'll just give you an example, like another one, environmental. Okay. I've all, I've always sort of said it on this podcast, which is that's a property, right? Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. If you're a factory and you're polluting and that pollution goes to my property, okay. Or the collective property, you should, you should have to pay for that in some way, right? Either paying for the cleanup of it or paying some sort of, you know, amount to the rest of us for, for being able to pollute that. Yeah. But the problem is that nobody owns the property, the, we don't have any private property rights. Well, so it's like you're trying to one, you're, I, you're I, almost there, but you have to somebody uh, has to own that land I, to I mean I I am there because one public property is the collective ownership of of its population, right? So the state of Illinois residents own any public property in the state of Illinois, no. right? Do we though? Well, and then Nobody two owns it. And then two you know, I own property in Illinois. So if your pollution is coming above my property, I mean, or coming into my windows, like, you know, you're infringing on my property rights. Yeah. There you actually have a point because it's your property with the public property. Nobody owns it. Yeah. It's owned by the collective people. Well, then the, the people that are polluting it can claim ownership of it too. That's the problem with public property. When everybody owns it, nobody owns it. But see, that's the fusion. You would never hear a Democratic candidate talk about climate change with property rights. Like it, it wouldn't happen. And that, that goes back to the scar tissue. That's because they don't about. believe in property rights. Yeah. And I just don't think that they're really thinking about framing it like that and trying to reach that audience. <laughs> I, the way they're framing I mean, there was so much fear mongering going on. They're, they're like, it, uh, one, one podcast I was listening to, he brought this point up. He's like, if you just take a step back, the Democrats are literally running on the world is going to end. <laughs> the world is going to end. This is the biggest deal ever. We have like 12 years left to, to figure this out. Yeah. And yet, you know, it only it, it makes its way in about an hour and a half into the debates. First, we got to talk about uh, I mean, immigration. I mean, look, healthcare. The, the, you know, those politicians, they're doing what every politician is trying to do, which is get attention with big, bold statements, you know, and big, bold rhetoric. The funny thing, again, is if you were the one Democrat who said this is a property rights issue, I think you get the most attention out of anyone, right? That would be, like, the biggest news item. Maybe. But yeah. What do I, I mean, I'm probably wrong, so. <laughs> I mean, yeah, well, Andrew Yang gave a shout-out to, to libertarians. libertarians. That's right. I, He's I was, the only one. Yep. Maybe he should... Uh, he should jump on that. Break off. He's hilarious, man. He is hilarious. I can't stop because it. No matter what question he's asked, no matter what topic, he always works it back to his universal basic income. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Which I don't disagree with him about. Like a lot of these issues. Yeah. Well, we did it. We did an episode on the UBI, universal basic yeah. income. All the viewers should go check that out as well. Do you? So you want to do your candidate handicapping? Like who's who's one, two, three right now for primary? I don't know. Power rankings. Power rankings in terms of who I think will actually get the nomination. Yeah. One, two, three. Oof. One, two, three. Well, who are my choices here? Let's see. God, I don't know, man. I, I just know who it's not going to be. I don't know well, who it is. Work back then. Huh? Work back from that. All right. It's not going to be Biden. It's not going to be, um, it's not going to be Tulsi, unfortunately. It's not going to be Elizabeth Warren. It's not going to be Bernie Sanders. It's not going to be any of those 10 people whose name you can't remember. Okay. Um, I don't think it's going to be Corey. 
I mean, not you pretty much need everyone. <laughs> Um, who's the I don't least, know. Maybe who's the least weak. Who is the least? Th- weak I mean, three? up until before this last round of debates, I would have said Kamala Harris uh, or uh, Pete Buttigieg, whatever his name is. Yeah. Um, but now, I mean, like we said, Kamala had a disastrous night. If she can bounce back from that, she's still in my top three. The the power rankings is a weird way of doing it because it's. It, it, in terms of who's in the best position right now, I guess you got to look at the polls. And yeah, like Biden, uh, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, they're all up there. And they can all raise money. So yeah, they're they're at the top. But I don't think any one of those three will get the nomination. So if I had to guess three people to get the nomination, uh, yeah, I'll go Kamala Harris, Pete Buttigieg, and I don't know, Marion Williamson. But none of that's really based on where they are right now or their performances up to this point. Those are just guesses as to who I think, who I think could come out on top of this whole thing. But right now they're not, none of those three are in the power rankings. Really? Does that make sense? I mean, my whole point is that the, the power rankings at this point are going to be upset. The Joe Biden's, the, the Elizabeth Warren's, the Bernie Sanders, the ones that are at the top in the polls right now are not going to be the nominee. That's my position. Who do you think? Uh, how about this? I'll I'll do. I think number one is Biden. I think number two is Warren, and I think number three is Booker. Okay. I think Warren's got a lot of support. Really? Yeah. I hope you're wrong on that because well, she's those, she's out horrifying out of, to well, me. Well, out of those, yeah. <laughs> I mean, out of those three, I also think she's got the like worst chance of winning the general out of those yeah. three. Do you think Biden just because? Just because he's like the establishment guy? I think Biden because people think he's going to be the winner. So it's like perceptions reality. Hmm. Okay. I don't know. It's it's hard to envision him not getting it, but I just don't I don't see it happening. Yeah. It, it, you know, it's like when you're, you're trying to picture Trump winning the election or something like that. But I think you're going to get a, a candidate that's more surprising than what we're what we're considering right now. I mean, I, I actually, I could see like de Blasio having like a real strong come from behind. De Blasio won't even win New York. He won re-election. <laughs> I mean, that's one thing, you know, you got to give him credit for. I don't think he's like that well liked, but yeah. Yeah. I'll go with Marion Williamson. Is your, is your, uh, my number one, dark my horse. dark horse. Dark horse. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if I had to choose three candidates to carry on, it would be her Yang and uh, Tulsi Gabbard. Yeah. Just, I, I want all three of them to be in the debates going forward. Yeah, uh, I don't know if they're going to make it because now it's like the amount of donations that you get and pull like they're going to find any way to screw you out. And that, that could be it. I mean, that could work in Biden's favor in Bernie's favor, Elizabeth Warren. Yeah, they're not going to do to Bernie what they did to him last year or not last year, last election. Right. But yeah, I mean, that the, the, the whole Democratic um, primary process is very um, sketchy to say the least with those super delegates and all that shit. Yeah. The, the thing with the Republican election was Donald Trump w- was so decisively winning that they couldn't steal it from him. Do you remember when those de- um, debates were going on and they were, they were like floating with the idea, the Republican party was floating out the idea of like changing the rules to sort of get him out of there. Yeah. And he won such a decisive victory. You had a very similar, you had like 20 people up there and 
you could tell that the establishment did not want Donald Trump to be the nominee, but like he was crushing it. And so they couldn't really get him out of there without causing a huge uproar with the democratic party right now. There's, I don't see anybody having that sort of decisive victory. So it's going to be easier for them to sort of filter out the unwanted yeah. candidates, in my opinion. That said, too, we're still very early. Yes, yes, I mean, we are. We got more, oh, more than a year away. This bullshit. Oh my god! Yeah, it's going to be a long year. At least the general will be fun. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I do like the the political theater of it all. Yeah. It's watching funny. watching this whole system of how they rule over us play out is very fascinating. Fascinating to see. I love to watch the, the media's malpractice and covering it. So it's going to be a lot of fun, but we're, we're actually running kind of long. We should probably wrap there. We'll do the shooting, the mass shooting stuff next episode. We'll try to get that out in a couple days. So if you haven't already, all you listeners out there, if you are not following us on Twitter at Pedal Fiction, you are really missing out. And you can join our private Facebook group, Pedaling Fiction Podcast, on Facebook if you want to further these discussions. And lastly, don't forget to give us a rating and review on iTunes or Stitcher or whatever platform you're listening on. Five stars if you think the show is worth it. If not, keep your review to yourself. And um, if you want to become a supporting listener of the show, you can go to our website, peddlingfictionpodcast.com. Just remember that any dollar you donate to us goes right back into delivering content and increasing our reach. Any little bit helps keep the lights on around here. You guys with your generosity are the ones that make this show possible. So if you could do all that, We will be back on Wednesday with coverage of the mass shootings that just took place this past weekend. And until then, just remember to keep on peddling that so-called fiction. Peace.